Hey, welcome to the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast, episode 43, Blood Work Testing for Plant-Based Athletes. In this episode, Dina and I discuss blood biomarkers that are important for plant-based athletes and the context of why, when, and how. Specifically, we're going to do a deep dive into what plant-based really means, talk about understanding the reasons for moving towards plant-based eating, why a baseline dietary assessment and a supplement check is critical before going into following a plant-based dietary pattern, and then we jump into the higher priority blood markers that we believe are extremely important if you are going into plant-based or if you just eat plant-based right now. These blood markers, we have a few of them that we want to cover, and you're going to learn a lot more about them and why they're important, especially for plant-based eating. We're also going to look at and discuss if plant-based eating, uh, specifically blood work testing for plant-based eating, is appropriate for young athletes. And lastly, the question of the hour, how often should blood testing be done? Should it be done once a year, twice a year, once every five years? So stay tuned for this episode. Dean and I do a little bit of a deep dive into blood work testing for plant-based athletes. Hope you enjoy it. Well, hey, welcome to the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast. My name is Bob Sibahar here with my partner in podcasting, Dina Griffin. Dina, how are you this morning? Hi, Bob. Yeah, my middle name is Pip, partner in podcasting. Partner in podcasting. Exactly. I love it, right? I I didn't even mean to give you a new nickname. (laughs) We can change nicknames frequently. That's right. But you can call me Pip today if you need to. Pip. Yeah. How are it. you doing, Bob? I'm doing good. You know, I've been, uh, you know, we'll be talking about this on, on later episodes, but I've been, I'm always into experimenting, right? N of one things. And I've been experimenting with some ketone esters this week and uh, feeling fantastic. You know, it's been interesting and I can't wait to share my data and my findings with our awesome, awesome audience. Oh yeah. We've got lots of good content coming up on ketone esters. Yes. So did you have some ketone esters today before our you recording? You betcha. You yeah. betcha. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, listeners uh, clue in <laughs> notice if you notice anything uh, unique with Bob's speaking style, you know, yes. or any other <laughs> <laughs> noticeable observations, drop us a note and let us yes. know what you're hearing. Exactly. You might think it's caffeine related, but uh, for those of you who do not follow me on social media, I've been doing this uh, post on Instagram, my little experiment every day, but this has been a no caffeine plus ketone esters. So yes, you know, I, I normally talk fast and um, you know, I haven't, I haven't had caffeine the entire week, Dina. So let's see, let's see what happens today. Right. Okay. So it's D are you doing decaf coffee decaf. or okay. Decaf, decaf with, with ketone, with ketone esters. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. We didn't plan this, but I did have caffeine coffee with the same amount of ketone esters. So Love it. I normally talk slow anyway, and I'm I'm <laughs> just coming home from a trip. I doubt I'm gonna have any noticeable, you know, effects, <laughs> but I think it's gonna help me uh, you know, thrive. Absolutely. In our discussion today, yes. which yeah. Bob, what are we talking about? Oh, today? I love this one. I think I love all of our episodes, Dina, but this is kind of near and dear to my heart because we're talking, we're going to kind of dissect a little bit more of the plant-based athletes and today talking about biomarkers. So we did have a nice chat with Dr. Garrett Rock regarding biomarker testing on our previous episode. And we kind of got into the plant-based biomarkers a little bit. You and I are going to talk today 
kind of part two, if you will, on looking at the whole biomarker, just landscape with plant-based athletes. So whether you are, you're not, or you're thinking about becoming plant-based, we're going to do a kind of a, I'm not going to call it a deep dive. I'm going to say we're going to be in the shallow end. So let's not call it a dive. Let's call it a jump, right? Because we don't want to go in head first. Uh, but this is, we're going to chat today about certain biomarkers that plant-based athletes really need to be concerned about and why. We will kind of follow this up with another part in the series, dissecting those biomarkers. So stay tuned for that one if you really want to get a little more geeky and, and know what these biomarkers actually do in the body and where we find them in, in food sources. That sounds awesome. Bob, I wonder just, you know, the term plant-based athletes, what, yeah. you know, how we want to define that um, yeah. because there's so many terms being used like plant forward, plant focused, plant leaning. So isn't it, isn't it crazy? Cause I remember, and this is why it's near and dear to my heart, as you know, right. Cause, cause you know, we knew each other way back in the days. Oh, I, there it is. Check there it is. The Check it back in the days. So <laughs> I was vegetarian for 10 years. Right. And, and you remember that. And, and I did some experiments with that, but this is the reason I say that is because back then it was literally just vegetarian, mm -hmm. right? And and we had, I, I guess vegan was was around too, but really like if you said vegetarian, it didn't mean a lot except maybe you ate some meat, maybe you didn't, maybe, you know, some animal proteins, maybe you didn't. So then like vegan really became popular. And then we know like there's a hard stop, like no animal products. These days with the whole plant-based and plant for like you were saying, I, I'm still a little confused to be honest with you, right? I think, you know, when I think about plant-based, I don't necessarily think about veganism. Um, I, I have personally, as a sport dietitian, I don't really address vegetarianism anymore because I do believe now I think plant-based has kind of taken over that term a little bit mm -hmm. because even vegetarianism is a little bit, a little bit wonky because you don't know exactly what it is. Right. So I actually love using plant-based because to me, it's just incorporating more plant-based foods and meals and snacks into an athlete's daily nutrition program. And, okay. and that's fantastic. And you don't, you know, I, I mean, I work with a lot of athletes, you work with a lot of athletes, and I'm sure you have this same scenario. And I have some guys and girls who, you know, they're not vegan, but they might only eat animal protein maybe once a week, right? So mm -hmm. all of their meals and snacks are plant-based. So it is a little bit a little bit weird to kind of kind of define, if you will. And I think that's what maybe starts to confuse our listeners is, I don't know, am I plant-based? Right. <laughs> I think, right, everyone eats plants, but are we plant-based? So exactly. I don't know, what is your preference? Yeah, I feel like there is the spectrum or the scale, right, where you've got vegan, which is absolutely no animal products mm -hmm. or animal-derived, no honey, no anything from an animal yeah. on the far end. And then as you move towards the middle, you've got well, I eat a little bit of fish, but once a week, or yeah. um, maybe I do some egg or a little bit of dairy, but you know, most of it is, is plant derived. Mm -hmm. um, and then you move towards the omnivore where you can still include, you know, maybe it is some animal like beef or whatever chicken, mm -hmm. but it's infrequent. And there is this high focus on, you know, lots of vegetables, lots of produce, lots of tofu yeah. or other um, plant proteins. Yeah. And then, and then the true omnivore, which is, um, 
you know, maybe a higher proportion of animal foods. So there's, right. I think it is important for each of us to know where we are on that scale, oh, uh, even though it may change day to day, but yeah. just overall, where are we falling? Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, some weeks, maybe you are more plant-based and other weeks, maybe you're more omnivore-based, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think that's okay. I think, you know, like I said, I think vegan is a special category because it is very, it is very defined, right? Yeah. But when you are talking about plant-based or omnivore, I, I do think we can kind of, kind of mesh through different phases. And I think that comes kind of in the first, you know, thing that I like to bring up is like, what's your reasoning behind this? Right. And, and you and I stress that quite a bit is like, why are you eating what you're eating? Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you necessarily have to label yourself plant based. Right. Because I think, I mean, if you want to, that's fine. And I think sometimes psychologically that even helps including more of the plant based, you know, foods, which is, which is absolutely fantastic because you get a lot of nutrient density out of some of these. But I think the reason behind knowing why you eat more plants, less plants, if you are vegan, like what, what is the reasoning? Because that when athletes come to us, you know, that's our first question, right? If someone says, Dina, I'm thinking about going plant-based and you're in really it's you, you ask that very pointed question, which is why, like, what are the reasons behind this? Because that's going to set up in, in listeners, you might be thinking, where are they going with this? This is going to set up everything else we're talking about today in this episode, including biomarkers, because we need to know the why, which also kind of defines the frequency of eating plants or, or uh, animal proteins, right? If you're going to include those or not. So we do kind of need to understand the why behind it. And, you know, Dean, I would also say, and this was, was, and you know, my experiment that, that I did years ago with going from vegetarian to, to omnivore again was family history right? Family history of, of medical um, issues of disease states. Like, I think we really need to understand that and factor that in. And I'm not even going to say, you know, at a certain age, right? Oh, it, mm -hmm. once you're 40 or 50, you really need to pay attention. I mean, if I would have, if I would have had the knowledge I have now, when I was early twenties, I think I would have shaped my nutrition a lot differently just because I, I don't have the best genetic history of, of, you know, disease states basically. Right. And, and I think that's what a lot of listeners need to understand. Yeah. That's a really good point. The origin or reasons, or like even our expectations going mm -hmm. more plant-based from more animal-based, let's say. Um, but yeah, your point about understanding our own family history, medical history, uh, that can drive this decision. And then of course there's other reasons perhaps, but I think it is important for all of us to actually, I feel like no matter whatever our dietary pattern is, like, why are we yeah. doing what we're doing? But especially if we are changing somewhat dramatically, you know, what are those expectations that come exactly. with this switch? Yes. Or if it is for, you know, moral or ethical or environmental reasons, mm -hmm. um, just preparing ourselves so that we can set up our nutrition pattern to be still optimal for who we are and what we're looking for from a health and performance standpoint, right. alongside supporting our, you know, ethical viewpoints, for example. Yeah. And I think it's also important to understand, you know, we're kind of getting into the whole decision-making process, but, you know, was, was your daily nutrition lacking before you wanted to go more plant-based or just let's say more, include more plants? Um, like what was lacking? And this is what's kind of getting us into this whole biomarker discussion, because 
we can actually test some of those things, right? And and we'll get to that here in a few minutes. But just just knowing that, you know, was I missing something in my daily nutrition? And usually, I mean, honestly, Dina, what I mean, most of the time, it's usually protein from what we've seen. And it's usually colorful foods. I mean, let's just put it out there. We're not talking about the vegans out there, because they do usually great with colorful foods, at least. But usually, I mean, most of, of our society is, is I would say, fairly lacking in protein and fairly lacking in, in the colorful foods, fruits and vegetables. Exactly. Yeah. Was it Dr. Phillips in our episode with mm-hmm. him who commented, you know, like Oreos are plant-based right? <laughs> Doritos are plant-based. Yes. Um, so I'm not picking on plant-based foods. I'm just saying, and trying to make the point, um, you know, our dietary pattern can be inadequate, really right. understanding what it is before we make changes, especially if we are layering on perhaps more restriction or, or we're cutting out some things, you know, for whatever reasons, but really getting a baseline, understanding where we're at before making a switch, I think is ideal. It doesn't, it doesn't happen all that commonly. It doesn't because I think people jump into it, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they watch documentaries and all of a sudden they're like, Hey, I need to do this. And, you know, sometimes that's a great spark to light the fire. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's, it's interesting because if you look at that, I mean, my biggest concern when someone says, cause I get this question a lot, should I go plant-based or should I include more plant proteins versus mm-hmm. animal proteins? And, you know, there are a lot of layers to look at, but really, I mean, to kind of latch onto this, I'm not too concerned if someone says, I want to do more plant-based eating. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable that they're going to get a lot of antioxidant rich foods, fruits and vegetables. My concern is always protein, Dina. It's always protein, right? And especially if they were deficient in protein on an on following more of an omnivore daily nutrition plan. And now they're going to go plant-based predominantly, that becomes a major issue for me because now we're going to see the body's going to take a hit. Certain biomarkers are definitely going to be manipulated and not in a good sense usually, right? Yeah. So Bob, you know, this has been around, like if you get on the Google machine, like can plant-based or vegans get enough protein? Yeah. Um, There's a lot of layers there. And again, you know, I won't repeat myself, but I'm not picking on anything in a negative sense. Of course you can get enough protein, but remember there's like the, the concept of adequate or I'm just getting by. With this amount of protein, maybe in line with the RDA versus how can I get enough protein to be working in it from a health and performance mode optimally or exceeding what is adequate. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, there's so much debate there on the, on the interwebs, like, of course, yeah, of course we can get enough protein, but are you getting optimally? you know, those intakes to match or support you uh, continuing to develop as an athlete or support the level of performance that you're looking for. Yeah. It's, it's a good, it's a good point. Cause I think, um, I think a lot of athletes actually take a hit in their protein um, first off when they start to make that change. Right. Mm -hmm. Only because like the point I want to make is like, I love, uh, I love when athletes want to incorporate more plant-based meals or snacks, but, but do it gradually, right? Don't, don't take that deep dive because there is a little bit of a, uh, you know, kind of, of a, of a, 
kind of switch of the guards, if you will, in your body. And really it does come down to protein because we want to make sure that you're, you have, a, 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 I guess, you know, you said adequate, I, I would say just uh, you know, optimal amounts going in. So if that means, you know, doing a gradual change, so maybe over a month, you start switching from more animal proteins to less animal proteins. And just week by week, you're just decreasing, decreasing. That also biasly, that also gives you an opportunity to explore different ways to prepare plant dishes, right? Or use plant proteins instead of, you know, taking the plunge from day one to day two. And all of a sudden you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, do I just right. eat tofu? Right. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Yeah. So some of this is our dreamy ideal way, like, okay, let's first understand what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. What are the reasons understanding health history, family history, yeah. you know, all the layers for the reasons to maybe switch up our pattern. Yeah. Um, and then looking to do an assessment, preferably mm -hmm. with a registered dietitian, sport dietitian to figure out, you know, if I'm going to make this move, where was I or where am I and what do I need to be uh, armed with information education wise yeah. as I move towards plant-based. And then like you're saying, Bob, I love the idea of like, you know, stepping into it instead of deep dive into it overnight. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's just from a behavior standpoint in behavior, behaviorally, it makes sense. Right. But I've guided so many athletes in this process that it's just the failure rate for going and more animal based to less animal based, the failure rate is much higher if you do it quickly, right? And that's mm -hmm. all I'm going to say. Like, there's there's a little bit of a learning curve here because not a lot of people really understand. Like, we know if we go plant based, everyone thinks, oh, you just eat more fruits and vegetables. But it's a it's a lot more complex when choosing the plant proteins. And that's again, we chatted a little bit with Dr. Phillips about that. And I just I just want to emphasize that if you're thinking about doing this, the the issue is not necessarily fruits and veg veg. It's it's the where you going to get the necessary protein to kind of make up from what you were doing with your animal protein sources, yeah. right? And that it even kind of spills down. I also talk about like before making this change, I talk about supplements with athletes and, and just identifying if you're taking supplements before the change, identify what those are, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. the, the quantities, write them down, but also why are you taking them? Because some of those supplements that you're taking may not be necessary based on the dietary shift that you may end up doing with the plant-based. And I think that's on, that's really important for, for athletes to understand is where am I at now if I'm taking supplements? Because here's, here's kind of what we're going at, right? When we get biomarker testing, preferably before you start a dietary change and then into the dietary change, maybe, I don't know, four, eight weeks into it, there might be a lot of different changes or different uh, measures that we're looking at that would absolutely change your supplement routine if you are taking supplements. Do you tend to recommend, Bob, um, pausing supplements then? Or I guess, of course, it's individualized, it, yeah. but do you it, have a certain I, protocol you would follow? Yeah, I think most of the time I would say yes to that unless they're you know, unless someone is, is already iron deficient or anemic yeah. and they're taking, like, I wouldn't pause that one, obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. But if they're taking like a multivitamin or, you know, zinc or something like that, I would probably pause that. Um, because those are, those are supplements that we, as those that I just mentioned are so abundant in a lot of plant-based, uh, food sources. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not to say you're going to get enough, but I do like to kind of take out as many dependent variables, those being the supplements, prior to a dietary change. So we see what we're working with. 
Um, but that kind of comes down to the whole pre and post biomarker testing and blood work testing, right? Because you, you need, I'm just going to step up here on my soapbox, Dina, you need to have it done. Like, please don't make a dietary change without having some blood work because you just don't know how your body's going to interact. And based on your medical health history, your genetics, like everything, we want to have some data to look at. And that's, you know, to kind of see how, how useful or maybe not useful making that dietary change was. And, and I know, Dina, you know, my story of, of being vegetarian for 10 years and then switching more to omnivore. It was, it was not because I didn't like being quote unquote vegetarian. I loved it. And in fact, I still do a lot of plant-based meals and snacks and everything. I, I actually don't eat too much meat, to be honest with you, too many animal proteins. Um, uh, except I love, I love cheese. Like, can I just say that? I, oh, I do love cheese. Yeah. Um, but, but my, my onus was changing because my blood work showed that again, genetically medical health history that I actually favored better when I did have some animal proteins in my daily nutrition plan. And that wasn't because it's good or bad. And, you know, I don't like using those words. It was merely because of my genetic and medical health history. And that's what made my choice. And that's what I think is so important for listeners to understand. Yes, Bob, I want to add to the supplement topic yeah. here too, because I've seen a number of athletes who go, let's say they go vegan pattern mm -hmm. and they've done their, you know, the Dr. Google search, like what, what do I need to be aware of? And you come across the sites that say, Ooh, if you're vegan, you better supplement with iron, uh, yeah. B12, da da da. And they will start supplements before or as they make the switch without doing the blood work to see where, what their baseline was right. just because, you know, they read it on whatever website. So that, that can also, as we've talked about before in many episodes, you know, blind supplementation without knowing mm -hmm. your baseline can be problematic or detrimental. Exactly. So you want to be careful about trying to, even if it's the best intentions, like I'm trying to curb and, you know, prevent any deficiency. Uh, so I'm just going to supplement, but that yeah. can be uh, problematic and skew what we're looking at from, you know, subsequent blood work. And some of these biomarkers that we're going to get into here, I mean, you don't want too high of levels, right? Which supplementation can drive those a little bit higher than, than we really want them to be. Some of them could be quite dangerous, to be honest with you, right? Not right. all of them are water soluble and you, you know, you just excrete in your urine. But I, I think one thing too, Dina, which I think is good to bring up, um, it kind of relates to the whole protein, but also total energy too. If you're thinking about jumping into the plant-based, it's, it's, it's very difficult. As I was saying, I, I think I'm going to sound like a broken record, but protein is very important, especially when making that change, because it is a little bit more difficult to find in plant-based. Um, and I only say difficult to find because most people are not used to trying to find it. It's there, mm -hmm. right? We just need to find it. Yeah. <clears throat> the other, the other concern is when, if you go completely plant-based, a lot of times total calories decrease and we really need to be careful of that. Right. I mean, cause then we get into the whole low energy availability, right? <clears throat> and yeah. not only with female athletes, right? And male athletes also need to consider that and keep that in mind that that is a thing, right? So we really need to be concerned with that you're eating enough because a lot of times, and not always, right, Dina, but sometimes when you do go more plant-based, total energy intake does decrease a little bit. Yeah. 
I think of the ginormous salad, which is loaded with all kinds of goodies, micronutrient dense, but like you can only eat one gallon of salad and then you're like topped off. But calorically, that may be, you know, 301 calories. And yet uh, I actually need 2,500 calories today or whatever. I'm not, I'm not suggesting we all count calories, but just an example of a very quote unquote healthful, you know, vegetarian plant-based meal, but it's lacking from an energy density. And over time, maybe that is a problem that gets us into a low energy availability state, uh, which has a whole host of other consequences that are not so positive. So a very good point that you brought up, Bob. I remember years ago when, when, you know, vegetarian veganism was really taken off. I remember this, I think it was Brandon Brazier. Uh, He's a vegan athlete. I just remember he put out some like YouTube videos or something about like a day of eating in his life Uh because he's vegan and high level athlete at that time. Right. And I just remember watching this and he had these tubs, you know, those tubs you get like Target or Walmart, like those huge storage tubs, right. That you put whatever in, you put in your garage, whatever. That's what, that's what he was eating out of, like for his salads. Like the guy had to eat so much food, Dina. So to your (laughs) point, right. It's, it's nutrient dense, but it's not energy dense. So mm-hmm. he found himself having to eat so much so often. And that's what we're talking about. We just need to make sure that you know what you're doing. Um, and, and there are some precautions to be taken. And, and again, as, as you said, D, I mean, throwing it into the wind and, you know, making sure that you are consulting with a sport dietitian, registered dietitian is super helpful. So your learning curve is shortened quite a bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. what about fats, Bob? Oh gosh. You talked yeah. about protein we touched on calories um, and then we'll, we'll go into some blood work here, biomarker stuff, but fat comes up as a question mark. It does because it's, you know, a lot of people are still fat phobic, right? Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that's a, that's a misnomer. I don't think we need to really set a phobia around fat, but when, when we do kind of take that animal protein sources or sources out of our nutrition plan, there, there could be a, a a pretty strong reduction in fat intake at the same time, because you're, you get a lot of your fat that you consume uh, in an omnivore plan is coming from your animal proteins. It's coming from your cheeses and your milks and your beefs and your chickens and your fishes. Right. And if you disclude those immediately, the issue is you're not going to replace, you're not going to have the tools to replace that. Right. So using oils, using nuts and seeds and very strategically, but I do find that vegans and, and even people that do more plant-based they do have to use more, more, or they have, to, it takes more effort to actually be able to include more fat in their daily nutrition plan. Cause they have to yeah. think about it now. Right. 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 Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Bob. Yeah. Well, I think what we're getting to here listeners is we are big supporters of plant-based patterns. However, Absolutely. we also want to do our homework and be prepared and uh, you know, one of the ways in which we do that is looking at a baseline level of blood work to, again, time timing wise, the ideal is to have some blood work done ASAP um, before we go full on, especially if we are going to look to go vegan. Thank you to our episode sponsor, Athlete Blood Test. I've been using Athlete Blood Test for several years as my go-to resource for athlete-specific blood testing analysis. 
Not only do they have a sports scientist who personally reviews and prepares each report, they use research-based athlete data sets to get you individualized guidance to hone in on your unique nutrition training and recovery needs. Check them out over at athletebloodtest.com on Instagram, athletebloodtest.com. Use the code ISN22 to save 15% off your next panel. Let's talk more about blood work, Bob. So when we are looking at biomarkers and Mm -hmm. trying to be choosy, is the standard panel that maybe our, you know, annual checkup, is that going to do it for us or what do we need to be looking for? Not even close. It won't even touch. <laughs> that I mean, was a that's probably question. For, it, it was a leading question. It's probably for all athletes, but it, not even close to what you need, especially if you are going more uh, plant-based and certainly, certainly vegan. But let's just let's just preface it by just remembering what I said earlier. It's ideal to have biomarker testing done prior to a dietary shift, and then about four to eight weeks into it to see how your body is responding to it. Okay. So that said. I, you, you do need to get a little bit more in terms of the biomarker testing done. And that's kind of what we're trying to trying to really emphasize here today by giving you the biomarkers, a list of biomarkers that you can take to your physician or independent uh, biomarker testing facilities or companies. But I, I do think we need, you know, how many times, Dina, do we hear an athlete say, oh, I'll just go to my physician and get this. And then you give them the yeah. lit because I actually, you know, I give athletes, okay, this is what I would like tested. Yeah. And they're like, oh, Okay. And they usually they come back and say, so my physician, they weren't, they didn't want to do this one or that one. And, you know, I think, I think Dr. Rock really explained it well from an insurance standpoint is they're not going to want to cover. I mean, insurance isn't really, we're really not being proactive about it. It's more of a reactive situation and we're trying to be proactive because there are dietary changes. So it is tricky and we understand it, it is it is very difficult to sometimes have these biomarkers tested. I always tell athletes, find a physician who, I mean, a, a sport physician is fantastic because mm-hmm. they get it already, but maybe a, maybe a, a DO who, you know, maybe it's a little bit more holistic, whatever it is, or maybe it's that, that MD who's had more training or, or, you know, just not, not complete. I, I just find and nothing against Westernized medicine because it's absolutely valid at, at certain times. But I do believe that the holistic approach is not completely taken hundred percent of the time. Right. So exactly. Yeah. That said, I think we need to go above and beyond when we're trying to get this lab work that we're going to talk about right now. Yeah. It is really important. I'm just supporting what you're saying, Bob, uh, for all of us to be our own advocates with our mm-hmm. physicians or healthcare providers and really let them know where you're coming from. So, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've asked an athlete, like, please, in your visit, please tell them you're this kind of athlete, you know, ultra runner, whatever, and you are vegan or you are da 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 following this pattern, or you're looking into it just to help, you know, make the case for this blood work. And like you're saying, Bob, if you have a good sport oriented physician or Mm -hmm. provider, hopefully they're cluing into that and they understand the importance of looking at some of these biomarkers that we're going to talk about. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I think the first one is, is the standard one. You'll get it anywhere. It's called a CBC, which is complete blood count. It, you will get this. I mean, even if you don't want it, you'll get it. Like it is the most standard blood test that is done. And it usually includes, 
you know, your white blood cells, your red blood cells, your platelets, hemoglobin, hematocrit, you know, just kind of the, you know, I look at that as just the basics. It's like touching the surface. You're really not going to get, I mean, some doctors and, you know, we used to use this in the hospital clinical setting, Dina, where we tried to, you know, it kind of helped us steer some nutrition feedings, but we're not talking about clinical hospital. We're talking about athletes, right? We're talking about individuals here who are healthy. And so the CBC is great. It's, it's the first place to start, but it's not, it's not where you want to stop. And unfortunately that is where a lot of this traditional medicine blood work testing is ended is you get a CBC and then you're left scratching your head and then you're frustrated. We're frustrated because we don't have all the data, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good baseline, you know, to track trends over time, but certainly not complete. Yeah. So I think the ones we're going to be diving into now, these are the ones like, listen up, get your notebook and pen out. Like this is, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? Dina. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's the first, like, what's the first, do you want to launch in like the first major one we're talking about? Well, I mean, it may not be a surprise for, for all the listeners, but yeah, your iron status. And so when we say iron status, that is more than one marker. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like iron panel or complete you know, look at your iron picture. So your iron stores, which we typically would look at ferritin as being Mm -hmm. one of those, but also looking at the blood level or the serum level of iron. So we've got a number of markers that, you know, belong to an iron panel. The, the top ones being, yeah, ferritin, Mm -hmm. uh, your, your serum iron. Then we've got what's called the iron binding capacity or total iron and that's usually abbreviated TIBC. Mm-hmm. And then we've got some other markers like a saturation level. Um, you know, there, there are a number of iron related markers, but those being top on the list, uh, along with hemoglobin and hematocrit, which kind of are affiliated right to oxygen delivery right. and, uh, you know, help us to put together this whole picture of what your status is related to, to iron health. Yeah. And this is where we will on, on part three of this, we'll, we'll do a deep dive. We're going to actually do a much deeper dive into these biomarkers and get much more specific. We just didn't want this episode to be so long, right? So we're mm-hmm. going to break this one up, but it, it is, that's, I think one of the biggest mistakes plant-based athletes make is they just, they say, you know, oh, I want my ferritin checked or my iron checked. And then the doctor, the, 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 blood testing facility, let's just put it that way, will not order, usually will not order a full iron panel like we're, we're talking about, right? right? You have to go above and beyond. And, and even with that is like vitamin B12 and folate, right? Mm-hmm. Looping that in because those also have an interaction with iron, with energy metabolism. And it's not, again, it's not just about your ferritin or your iron level. Like it's, mm-hmm. that's where, you know, like, like, you know, as sport dietitians, you know, we look at all of these factors and how they're relating, not just on one marker, but how all of these markers are relating. So we've got the full iron panel that you mentioned. We've got vitamin B12. We've got folate. Um, those are, I think, giving us a really good idea of what's happening with with iron, with hemoglobin, hematocrit in our body, which are super, super important. Uh, magnesium is one that's always put on there. But it kind of like I chuckle when I see that because you know, people say, oh, yeah, I had my, my my magnesium checked. And I always say, well, was it RBC magnesium, red blood cell magnesium, or was it your standard? And they're like, well, I don't know. It just says magnesium. Mm-hmm. If it just says magnesium and, and there's nothing again, 
is there anything wrong with magnesium? No, but it's, it's just the amount of magnesium in the, in the, in the serum and in the, in the blood serum, right? It's not in the red blood cells. And that's, we want to see the magnesium in the red blood cells because that again, athletes, it's a little bit more indicative. We look at the hematocrit obviously with that and the red blood cell magnesium is usually the one that is deficient. We usually don't see total magnesium, which is the serum magnesium. Usually that's within range. And I don't know, I don't think I've I mean, I would have to look back. I don't think I've ever seen a magnesium out of range, right, mm -hmm. Dina? But when you look at RBC with athletes and hematocrit and foot strike hemolysis, where you're breaking down some red blood cells, if they're runners, now you start seeing some things happening with red blood cell magnesium. And that's why, and Dina, I don't know the stat, but such a high amount of, I know at least US Americans are magnesium deficient, right? Yeah. And that's, that's one of the markers that we're looking at, especially as an athlete. Right. Super important. And by the yeah. way, we'll put a list in our show notes of all yeah. of these in case you're taking notes, but like what now? Why? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll be sure to include a summary. Yeah. Um, you know, I also think of vitamin D, Bob. I oh, mean, gosh. I yeah. feel like all peoples need to have vitamin D checked anyways, yes. but especially if we're making dietary changes. I mean, vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin anyway. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to be even unintentionally adjusting our fat intake or, you know, overall food pattern intake, I think looking at vitamin D, since we know it ties to so many health systems, particularly bone health, brain mm -hmm. health, um, for the athlete, I feel like that's a great one to include and can show so much insight. Oh yeah. And even from, from muscle, uh, health and because vitamin D is actually part of the muscle contraction process and even immune system. I think we learned a lot through the COVID days, like a oh, lot yeah. of some of the research Remember that mm -hmm. it was pointing towards low vitamin D's and the risk of COVID. And, but we know that vitamin D is also influential in, in immune system functioning too. So vitamin D is kind of one of those vitamins that, um, I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to call it magic, but it's pretty darn close, isn't it? I mean, it's, yes. I can't wait uh, for us to do a full episode on, yes. on vitamin D. Yeah. And Dina, I'll say like, I've, I, you know, sometimes it's, it's pulling teeth, trying to get athletes uh, to get vitamin D tested. It's such an easy test. And to be honest with you, it's actually one of the cheapest blood tests to, to do in, in the, that I know of, right. Yeah. It's so easy to do. And there's such a high deficiency rate of vitamin D. The unfortunate part uh, which we'll talk about in the next next episode when we kind of uncover this a little bit more, but there aren't that many food sources of vitamin D. Mm -hmm. And that's why vitamin D supplementation is so important. Now that I've said that and it's come out of my mouth, I just want to warn our listeners, please don't blindly supplement vitamin D, right? Don't, because I see so many athletes, they, you know, I, you know, I look at supplements and they say, oh, I'm taking vitamin D. And then I ask how much, and then I, I say, well, can I see your blood work? Like when was your last blood work test? Right. And then some, sometimes not all the time, because athletes are getting a lot wiser to this, but they say, oh, well, I didn't have a blood work test. I just take mm. 1000, 2000 I use. And I'm like, oh, that that just kind of scratches my back a little bit wrong. I mean, it's just like, mm, maybe not doing that, right? That's one <laughs> of those biomarkers. That's one of the vitamins. If you're going to supplement, I would just go off on a limb and say, you absolutely need to have that tested beforehand because if it is low, at least what I do, Dean, is depending on the on the on how low it may be, will dictate 
how I put, you know, kind of mix and match food, which there are very, very few vitamin D sources unless they're fortified, but it also tells me at what dosage to recommend a vitamin D supplement. Yes. If it has to be lower dose or higher dose. So please, um, you know, don't, don't skimp on that test. The vitamin D has to be tested. I, I mean, we're going to talk about frequency later, but that has to be tested with athletes. I try to test about every season, uh, depending on where they live. Yeah. Yeah. Very good, Bob. Yeah. I feel like there's a few others that are, you know, there are, nice yeah, for have, sure. right. Yeah. Um, you know, one that I think of that might not be as common commonly thought of is just a lipid panel. Mm-hmm. And, and this just comes more from maybe the energy availability angle, or of course, you know, the ties to cardiovascular health and health right. history and things. If you know your, your family history, there are some things there that we're looking to be more proactive, but I've also seen a number of, of, um, blood work results or reports where, vegetarian or, or vegan athletes Mm -hmm. have uber low cholesterol, very low triglycerides. Right. And I, although I don't know that we have, you know, gobs of research to support this statement, I'm just going to say, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a positive, like how low can you go on your cholesterol? Just because we know that's related to hormone production, Mm -hmm. right? If we're looking at sex hormones or other hormones, like we need cholesterol, we don't want to go that low. So I think if we haven't had a lipid panel checked in a while, or we are making this shift, this is one I would throw into the mix. Absolutely. Totally agree. And and I'm kind of the opposite of that, Danny, because of my medical health history, when I was more vegetarian, more plant-based, my triglycerides went through the roof. Mm. Right. So I needed to manage okay. those. And yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the things, cause I was eating and, and, you know, this, this was again, back in the days, right. So, yeah. you know, the, the message was high carb, low fat, you know, that whole thing. And it's just, it's just so helpful when you have the data, cause you can really, you, you can manipulate your nutrition so much easier when you've got the data and knowing, like if I, if I had never gotten that, that blood work test and just had the inkling of doing that and looking at a little bit more, like you said, I, I had the, you know, the ferritin, the B12, all that, but I did include the lipid panel and mostly because of my family history. But once I saw that it was shocking, it was absolutely shocking. And then after I did my little experiment, um, including more animal proteins, and I saw triglycerides go down and interestingly enough, my HDL went up. So what I'm saying is we absolutely, yes, we need cholesterol. We need those apps. Yes. But because everyone is an of one coming from different backgrounds, your blood is going to, or your biomarkers are going to respond very differently because of those factors. Right. So I don't feel like we can say, Oh, everyone should do what Bob did. No. I mean, in terms of testing, yeah, maybe. Right. Cause you do want to test test. Don't guess. Right. But don't, don't just jump to a, Oh, I need to be omnivore. I need to be plant-based. I need to be carnivore. I need to be keto. Right. Use the data first. And I think, I think that's very important, important messaging. And, you know, like, like you said, there, there are some standard biomarkers that we look at but then we add on some, like the lipid panel, I think is important. Omega-3 index, which is is kind of looking at the different fats in your body, the omega-6 fats, the omega-3, the trans fats, <clears throat> just to make sure. And that's more of an inflammatory marker test. So mm-hmm. that is very important because if you look at that, sometimes, I mean, 
it depends on the person, but if you're eating a lot of salmon and then all of a sudden you don't eat salmon anymore, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to reduce your omega-3 intake, which is more of an anti-inflammatory fat. Mm -hmm. Now you can find omega-3 fats in plant-based foods. You just need to know where they're at. And sometimes you need to eat more of them, right? Right. And knowing how to incorporate them in your new dietary pattern. You can only eat so much chia seed, Bob. Oh, tell me about out it. Of my tell teeth me about right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah, omega three index is a is a really cool one. I also think yeah. of thyroid function. Yeah. You know, not yeah. just TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. This is kind of like the iron thing, where we ideally we get a full thyroid panel, looking mm -hmm. at free T three, free T four. Uh, maybe the antibodies, uh, you know, and some of this is just also perhaps individual based on athletic history and, and background. But uh, if we are going to lean more heavily into plant-based eating or vegan style, it's good to just check what our thyroid is doing or not doing mm -hmm. um, so that we can be more proactive as we go forward, making sure we have enough in the way of calories, you know, the uh, quality calories and so forth, um, so that we're long-term avoiding any sort of low energy availability state. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. So that that's a good list. I mean, any others that, that come up, Dee? I mean, gosh, we could probably add a few more on yeah. the wish list. But I think yeah, we covered yeah. the highest priorities. There perhaps might be a few micronutrients that we would mm -hmm. look at. Right. Maybe, you know, selenium or iodine, zinc, uh -huh. some of those, but I right. don't, I don't always put those on my, you know, highest priority. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think the ones we talked about, so let me just review uh, CBC, which is that complete blood count, iron stores, uh, panel, vitamin B12 and folate, red blood cell, magnesium, vitamin D, those are probably our highest priority followed very closely, like very, very closely by a lipid panel. So those are your fats and your cholesterol, thyroid panel, and then the omega-3 index would follow suit right along with that also. So yeah. I mean, you're talking about a good couple handfuls of biomarkers and, you know, listeners, you may think that's overkill, but this is your health. Like this is your body. We have one life to live. Like it, it makes sense to learn more about your body and to be able to really interact well with it and, and, you know, with others, but also to understand how, how nutrition plays parts of this. And, you know, I can't tell you, and, and Dina will emphasize this also that everyone is so different. We, we create different daily nutrition strategies based on all of this. Like there's not just one. That's why, you know, when, when you say diet in front of Dina and I, that's why we just cringe because there is no such thing and there's no one size fits all. And that's why we're, we're so pro biomarker testing all the time. Right. No. Yeah, it can seem overwhelming to have this long list, but again, considering, yeah, we're it's sorry for the broken record, but yeah, yeah. genetically, uh, health history wise, athlete wise, you know, yeah. even gender, maybe uh, these things, it is well worth your coin to <laughs> invest in this blood work yes. and really yes. get true insight to your unique body. Yeah. And even for parents listening, your question, uh, because I hear this all the time, Dina, my, my teenager is thinking about being a vegetarian or going vegan or whatever. 
And I'm like, okay, we need to do some education here, right? And yes, parents, here's your answer. Yes, your teenager, if they're thinking about doing something like this, should have biomarker testing done. We've heard that from a couple of our experts. It's so it's good to do it at that age. Yes, I, I think most of them agree. Like once they become true teenager, um, that that's it's it's valid to do biomarker testing. So if our young athletes are thinking about dietary shifts, please get biomarker testing first because that is a very delicate time of life where we do not want to mess up nutrition and their growth yeah. and development. Good point, Bob. Yeah. Well, you know, and then if we if we just talk about how often we should do this kind of testing to monitor. Mm. I mean, we've talked about the importance of trying to do this ideally before making some switches or mm -hmm. as we're early on into the switch of uh, going more plant-based, but as far as ongoing monitoring, uh, what yeah. would you say, Bob, would be ideal for frequency? Yeah, I think there's a lot of what if factors that come in there, but I think if you were to corner me, D, I would say definitely the, the pre, so get that before you're going to make a change, get that biomarker test um, or get the biomarkers tested, then I, I would say about six to eight weeks into it, right? Because that usually gives you enough time to play around with it. A lot of these biomarkers will have changed by then. We'll be able to see some good things to be able to set up kind of the next stage of your plan. And then from there, it, it kind of, it can go two ways. Like if things are going well, like you don't have any fatigue issues. And some of this is training cycle based, of course, mm -hmm. right. Um, and, and possibly even developmental age based also, but if things are going well, fatigue is, is low and controlled and training is going well and health markers are good. Sleep is good. Everything is kind of quote unquote normal going well. I would say like once every four to six months, right. Yeah. Sometimes I do see some hiccups, like after that first six to eight weeks, there's still some things to, to really work out. So then I would do another six to eight weeks to follow up if, if there are some, some challenges to that, that initial implementation, but yeah. you're, you're probably talking about maybe two a year, three a year, if things aren't going too well. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah I love a couple times a year is fantastic. It's kind of like you know, um, I'm not the best bike maintenance person. So I take yeah. it to pro, you know, right. once a year or something for a good, good whiz bang through and have it totally. all fine tuned. So it's similar to some of these other things or our, even our vehicles, right. For maintenance. Right. So having right. it checked out thoroughly a couple times a year can bode well for, um, trying to prevent deficiencies, preventing a path that is very difficult to come back from in well, that that's realm. a great point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, once you get in deficiencies, it can take months, if not years to come out of a deficiency, right? So that's what we're trying to prevent and trying to identify if there are any issues beforehand, we're trying to catch those, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's why usually the one time a year, the annual physical usually just doesn't cut it, especially if someone's trying to make dietary changes, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This Ooh. is good. We have just, wow. I feel like this was so beneficial for everyone involved. And hopefully listeners, you feel that way too. And, and of course, just to throw it out there, if you do have specific questions about anything we talked about today um, or any biomarkers or plant-based anything, you can just shoot us an email, uh, hello at insidesportsnutrition.com. We'd love to answer your questions. We do, you know, ask, uh, what do we call them again? 
Oh, ask us ask, anything. Ask us anything. A-U-A. Yeah, the AUA episode. So you can ask us anything and we will devote episodes just for those questions. Yes. So we would absolutely love that interaction. Yes. And Bob, we'll be going into more of these markers in detail in future episodes because we really want to teach our listeners more. For example, what what the heck does B12 do for me as an athlete? Yeah. Why do I care? Or what about thyroid and, and ferritin, all these markers that we've been talking about. So that's yeah. to come in the future listeners. Yes. I love it. And I think we'll highlight the the highest priority that we yes. talked about here today for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, D, I think that's uh, I think that wraps up what we wanted to accomplish on this episode, huh? Agreed. Yeah. Super helpful. All right. Well, listeners, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to our podcast and this specific episode. Again, shoot us an email if you have any questions uh, about anything, really. Follow us on Instagram. Check out our our website because we have all of our episodes filed there, so you can always catch those. But in the meantime, go get your biomarker tested and reach out to Dina and I if you have any questions, and we will see you on the next episode. All right. Take care, everyone. Well, we hope you enjoyed episode 43, where Dina and I sat down and chatted about blood work testing for plant-based athletes. Hope you got a lot of golden nuggets out of that episode. Looking forward to episode 44, where Dina and I sit down and chat with Hunter Allen, renowned cycling coach. And we're not talking about cycling in this episode. We're actually talking all about nutrition, what Hunter's been up to regarding some of his dietary changes using a continuous glucose monitor, using ketones, using other products, and really how he has changed his health and performance around by making some nutrition changes. So we're very, very excited to have him on the episode next week. A huge shout out and thank you to our podcast sponsor, Athlete Blood Test. They provide individualized athlete-specific blood analysis and they offer a 15% discount for all of our listeners. If you use the code ISN22 on their website, athletebloodtest.com, please go support them. If you do have a sport nutrition question you'd like us to address on a future episode, just shoot us an email, hello at insidesportsnutrition.com. Be sure to include your name and the question, and we will devote an episode just for these questions. So please reach out to us. We'd love your support in promoting our podcast. If you do find what we're doing is informational and beneficial for you, please visit your podcast platform of choice. Give us a review, five-star rating. Really does help us grow and share our content with other listeners around the world. And if you would like some more information about what Dina and I do in our individual and team nutrition coaching, and physiological and biomarker testing, you can reach out to us. You can contact me by going to the website energyperformance.com. That's E-N-R-G performance.com. And you can reach Dina at nutritionmechanic.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and the guest involved and do not represent a replacement for medical consultation with your doctor. The information and opinions provided here are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or medical condition. This podcast is for information, education, and entertainment purposes only. 